The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Sullivan, I used to produce the action on the radio station for the World Rally Championship. The rest of the spin crew are standing by. They are Dirtfish Reporter and the voice of Rally Colin Clark, former team boss George Donaldson, and the man of many words, Dirtfish senior staff writer David Evans. Now, we've been having a bit of a retro ride over the last few weeks, and this time we're indulging in a bit of British bias. The biggest film of the year was Braveheart, which feels appropriate, so sit back and join us as we relive Colin McRae's run at the RAC Rally 95. David, why are we talking about RAC 1995? Well, in all honesty, Lise, you know, any excuse for me to talk about the RAC in 1995, but more specifically, 25 years ago, this very week, uh, we were all in, or some of us were running up and down Great Britain, chasing Colin McRae and hoping against hope that he would win his first World Rally Championship, which of course he did. Uh, And if you're listening on the day that this podcast comes out, which is Sunday, November 22nd, uh, it was on this very day, twenty-five years ago, that uh, that Colin and Derek won. So that's why that's why we're here. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold my hands up at this point and say I knew nothing about rallying in 1995, but I do remember yeah, Colin McRae winning the title. Very disappointing. Very disappointing, Lisa. But I was very badly brought up, David. Very badly. But Lisa, I, <laughs> but I remember McRae winning. Yeah, and I'm in exactly the same position as you, Lisa. I'm, I'm going to put my arm around you uh, and say you and I are in the same you. boat here. Um, you know, 1995. Colin, I, I, I think, Colin, you should actually just get your coat and leave. <laughs> See you guys. No, I, I, I did get my coat and left yeah. on that particular rally. I was, I was sitting in my very, very nice corner office in the in the front building at uh, TTE in Germany, yeah. uh, following procedures uh, on uh, whatever media was available at the time. The internet was barely functioning. Can I say, though, can I say in my defence, David, can I say in my defence, no. You have no defence, Colin. I, I have very <laughs> few defences, George. Very few. But can I say on my defence that I was working, this is a very tenuous link and just about might get me out of a hole, I was working for Rothmans at the time. Does that kind of... Seems very unlikely, that, seems very unlikely to us all, Colin. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay. But oh I, I, I am... What it, does prove, what it does prove, though, is just because you're late to the party, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy it from there on in. No, that's true. And that's, you know, that's what we tried to achieve, you know, with throughout this year on Dirtfish, we've run this hashtag 95 live. We've run uh, period reports of every round of the championship. uh, And, and, you know, throughout what would have been RAC week in 95, we've run uh, a live Twitter feed uh, as the event as would have unfolded. Um, So, yeah, you know, everything is there. If you want to know anything about 1995 WRC, then go, you'll find it all in, in our archives. I think, we have to start here because I am fascinated 
uh, by by George's story, the fact that, you know, obviously we all know what happened in Spain um, on the preceding round, and Toyota would have been completely ready to come to the RAC and for Kankanen to fight for another championship. And how, you know... Could you what just was... do a quick recap for those who think, I kind of know what happened in Spain? We We can all... You know, I'm sure most of us can remember that you know Spain was a difficult event for Toyota when they were they were excluded from the event for an irregularity with the turbocharger, and then they were excluded from the the final round of the championship and of course the 1996 season. But up until that point, George, you know, you would have been everything was directed towards the RAC coming off the back of Spain and potentially chasing another championship for for Kankinen. And I can't really remember, but probably you were in the in the shout for another manufacturer's championship. We, we, we certainly were, yeah. So how did you go from from that to then, oh, I'm not going? Uh, and, well, you know, what was, did you do? It was a disappointing time, of course. Uh, that, that stands to reason. Basically, uh, we were already planning for the following year. So I was, I was uh, I can tell you what I was doing. Uh, in the, in the, earlier in that week, I'd been in Belgium and we'd put together a deal with Toyota Belgium. They were wonderfully proactive uh, dealer in in Europe there's also TMME uh, Toyota Motor Marketing Europe were based there they were very on side with us doing lots of uh, activities and actions uh, and uh, uh, um, Marlborough ran a hugely proactive Belgian championship which you know we just about experienced in the WRC this year by going to Ypres so I I uh, had I'd done a few Belgian events myself I think I'd done three or four Belgian rallies myself uh, whilst my career was still incipient and then almost burgeoning, I nearly did some more events there. But I, I got to go. I got to go there as a team manager in '96. Um, it, it was actually we, we took over a team that was uh, that had uh, become a little bit heavy in its uh, in its operation. Um, so we just got given it in its entirety by Toyota Belgium with a fraction of the previous year's budget. And I just went with my a, a very small core of people. I think we just took 16 people to each event. And we ran two cars and we, we covered all the service points. And we won just about everything we entered. Not everything. We got we got historically beaten in um, in uh, in Spa, the Spa rally one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and going into the last stage, we had half a minute's lead and we were on snow tires. And I, th- I can't remember who it was. One of the one of the famous Belgian drivers was was had gone in on slicks on in a Subaru, and he was furious. I remember talking years later to to um, uh, Paul Howarth, who was running the car there for God, who was it now? Um, Patrick Patrick um, Snyers. Patrick Snyers, and he was furious because he'd been put on a cut slick, and we'd put Ooh. snow tires on. And they went into the stage. We were reasonably confident. This snow that had fallen was just three or four centimetres thick. And it it was almost water. And as you touched it, it turned to water. Well, Robert Drugman took about a minute and four seconds. That was He won by a few seconds. The most remarkable result. Best ever rally to lose. I mean, what, a, what an event to lose. But uh, we lost it on that occasion. Yeah, I can't remember whether that was anyway. That's what I was planning all that, and and we got we got three or four years. So I was I was excited about that. I wasn't paying attention but, to anything else. I wasn't aware that Colin even won the championship until you phoned me and told me now. <laughs> I followed much? it judiciously. I was on the phone to the clerk of the course. To it was uh, Andrew Neil at the time. I'd be on Malcolm the phone Neil. to him. I'd be, 
Malcolm Neal, sorry, I'd be on the phone to him, clabbying him and finding out what's happening. I'd be speaking to Andrew Kellett, who was undoubtedly around and about at that time, following up. I'd be I'd be speaking to the guys that were doing the results for WRC. I'd just be getting results every which way I could. I'd be on the phone the whole time. I remember I was in my office the whole weekend. Well, the whole week, actually, that it was on. It's not the weekend at that time. It was a difficult one as well, though, George, because, I mean, obviously it was your home round of the championship, wasn't it? And it was an event that, you know, you'd competed on and it was it was close and dear to your heart. Absolutely. The the you know the it was still we still went round the country at that time. You know, it was still a proper it started in Chester, started and finished in Chester that year. So you've got your lap of Wales, you've then you then go away across to Yorkshire and I think it went up into Kielder that year. Did it go right up to Edinburgh? I don't think it did that year, but it would come up into Kielder at the very least and then and then catch the border stages. Maybe mm. Twig Lees, certainly, certainly um, some of the the North Kielder stages, if you like, and then back down. So just a just a what a stunning event! And I mean, Colin just drove the socks out of that Subaru, didn't he? Uh, and yeah, just yeah, never yeah. never looked like George, losing it. George really, David, to be sorry, honest. David, can I can I can I add just a little bit there because um, over the last three or four days, I've become a little bit of an expert on the route. So if I can just put you right, George. <laughs> oh please do yeah I can't remember now because it's the only contribution look up the service plan it's the only contribution that I'm going to make to this uh, the first day was your traditional day George it was the Sunday it was a traditional course, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, uh, the stately gorgeous. home stages then on the Monday horrible but gorgeous the Monday they headed mm-hmm. you're quite right up to Kielder uh, and they did a loop yes. around Kielder Tuesday um, where did they go Tuesday they headed down to Mid Wales is that right David uh, yeah, mid, mid and south mid went and down south to Wales and, and then Wednesday uh, they came back to North Wales so they, it was you're quite right very much a tour of Britain with some fantastic stage names mm-hmm. David we've been going through them the last oh. couple of days um, you know real iconic stages that we haven't seen included in rally uh, Wales rally GBR you see yeah. whatever you want to say for, for many many years absolutely and, and I mean that uh the first day was, as you said, exactly that, Colin. It was just, it was that tour of the of the the super specials, or not super, the spectator stages, but you know the fundamental one. They had an overnight in Leeds on the Sunday evening, uh, and oh, then yeah. after that they were were up straight up as they had been in '94 up to Hamsterley, uh, which was a difficult, yeah. difficult, a very quick stage uh, in County Durham, and as a mark of how quickly Colin was was going. Uh, so, you know, just to set the scene a little bit more, Colin and Carlos were the only ones that could win the championship when they started the RAC in 95. They were tied on 70 points. It was very straightforward. You know, winner takes all. Um, and from what we can understand, the relations had been tricky in Spain. So obviously there was a team orders row where where Subaru team principal David Richards had said that, you know, the positions would be held at the end of the penultimate, uh, penultimate day. Carlos Sainz was leading. Colin was told to finish second. Colin naturally didn't want to finish second, but was forced to. Um, and that meant they came to to Chester level on points. It was winner takes all, as I say. So first day, pretty irrelevant. Tommy Mackinnon was leading for Mitsubishi. He went out on Hamsterley um, with sus- suspension damage. Oh, no, transmission damage. I can't remember. But the point of Hamsterley was this speed that Colin McRae showed. He took, I think, 28 seconds out of everybody. Yeah, yeah. And his, his his speed in Hamsterley, we talked about this yesterday, Cole. The stage itself was 300 metres longer in 1995, and Colin was 50 seconds it's quicker than he had been in 94. <laughs> you know, and 
And and then we went into from there we went up as you you rightly say George and and Colin up to Pundish up to Kielder and into Pundishaw, uh, and it was the longest Pundishaw I think that we ever ran on the RAC. It was the full thirty six mile, the fifty two. Oh, amazing! Absolutely amazing. I've I've only run that that stage when it was split into two two yeah, eighteen milers, and it felt like they lasted forever thirty six miles. But he, you know, you talked. I talked to Andrew Kellett about this, and of course, at that time, Andrew was still. He was the route coordinator. He had been for this would be his sixth year uh, coordinating the route and deputy mm-hmm. clerk of the course. But he, crucially, he had also been the he'd run the the Shell Oils Cumbria Rally, uh, and you know, nobody knows any more about Wales than 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 AK does right now. Nobody knew any more about Cumbria and and Kielder than he did back then. Uh, and he put together this incredible route through Pundashaw, um, and and set out. We went from there to Broomielin to to Washop uh, and Kershope. Um So Colin had a puncture in in Pundashaw. That was the the big point really of of the event. And Pundashaw, that sorry, I am talking an awful lot here, but it's great memories uh of good that stuff. stage bring, bring it on david that's what we want to cheat i want to hear these stories i'm 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 interested for goodness sake just, well, just, well this is this is the kind of point i just wanted to make a little earlier about the fact that we're doing 1995 you mentioned it was pre-internet um well i mean the internet was in its infancy george we didn't really get information off the internet in the internet in those days uh, you said as a team boss you didn't know what was going on it's very important that you guys share these memories because this is how people like me find out about what was happening before I really got into the sport and have to go back and read books, which is a bit harder than having people tell you stories. I like stories. Tell me more. <laughs> David, so, keep that story coming. Pundershaw. So, so and that, that, yeah, Pundershaw. So Colin had gone in there and he got a... He went after Hamsterley, that astonishing run. He had a 27-second lead over, over Kenneth Erickson, 43 seconds up on Carlos, his chief championship rival. He came out of Pundershaw... One minute and 14 seconds down on Carlos. He dropped two minutes uh, with this puncture. And it was a great story because they he felt that the, the puncture would come and he, he'd hit a rock or something. Didn't expect, he saw the rock and, and in that interview on TV, he said he ran over the rocks. He didn't expect it to do any damage. And it just caught it at the wrong angle or whatever and it knocked the tire off the rim. So they had to stop and change. Um, and there's this great onboard of Derek saying, look for somewhere with some speckies or, or Colin, I can't remember which it was. And they found this junction where there were a few spectators and the spectators all ran to the car and lifted the car up. I mean, quite incredible scenes. So, you know, just as they were about to get the jack out, they didn't need to because the crowd had got involved and lifted the car. At that time, of course, George, you were allowed to, weren't you? you know, there was no, yes, yeah, there were no rules um, to say you couldn't. So they'd done that. They got the car back down and, and went away. And those times in Pundashaw were just insane. Here's David Lapworth's memory. He was the technical director of the Subaru World Rally team at the time. I don't so much remember. I mean, I, I remember Colin and the punctures and the crazy um, split times coming through um, and thinking, what the hell is going on? Because it didn't, none of it stacked up in those days when we didn't have tracking systems and all you got was a bit of feedback from people in the stage to give you the stage. And our first reaction, I remember David saying, oh, some idiot's got that split time wrong because Colin's not plus 50, he's minus 10. You know, they must have got the minute wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And then find out, no, Colin's been parked up for a minute and a half or whatever, changing his puncture. Um, so it was chaotic. 
And that, so that Pundershaw stage, you know, not only was it a remarkable one for Colin, but, you know, Kenneth hit exactly the same rock and had a, a puncture just the same as Colin. Third fastest on that stage was Alistair McRae. Alistair McRae rolled in that stage and was still third fastest. It was, it was insane. But George, that was Pundershaw, wasn't it? You know, it, it could do that to you. It was a crazy well, place. I mean, it, it, that was Pundershaw in its tame form in reality, Dave, uh, David, because yeah. they had pace notes. You know, yeah. uh, seven years prior to that, you, you did that stage without pace notes and you would have had double the casualties. It was it was horrendous, but it was so much nicer to drive with pace notes, I can imagine. I've only ever been through it without pace notes and every single crest was terrifying, mm. these massive ditches on either side of the road. There was nowhere you could run wide or make a mistake and so many blind crests. Um, your co-driver would be down uh, reading the maps or not, if the case may be. So you just had to literally break down for every crest. Uh, so that's why you can get the big gaps appearing because some people will maybe remember the stages, some people will know it, some people will trust the map, some will choose not to, and you would get half a dozen of the top cars having massive problems. So and that's I mean, you know that's that's something that too. that we haven't you know we've never really talked about you know is the challenge of Kielder because it, 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 you know you talk to people like Yari Matti and Yari Matti Latvala is desperate to hear more stories of Kielder because he remembers the likes of Marco Allen talking to Tony Mason about Killer mm. Kielder it was a huge challenge because you know the maps weren't really that good up there because it was a man-made forest so all of the roads mm-hmm. were you know inevitably all of the roads in forests are man-made but it, it was a tricky, tricky place to go, particularly at yeah. night, wasn't it, George? Did you ever drive it at night? It was, I, I, uh, I drove it at night in the snow, in driving snow at times as well in the REC rally, uh, and and I, I went into that. Uh, I went into the Kielder complex. We were something like twenty fifth on the road. I don't know what we were overall, and uh, I had very good co-driver Fred Gallagher with me. Who Fred wouldn't read the maps because he said they're useless. He said he said it'll be ten corners good and the eleventh corner you'll be in a ditch, George. He said yeah. so. I'm not doing it. You you drive it on site. I was I was really quite disappointed, but he was absolutely right because we just saw car after car off. Um, I felt like I was driving like like my granny, yeah. so to speak, as I quite often use that analogy. Um, we we drove through driving snow. It was absolutely awful. Um, we know that some some crews did have illegal pace notes, and I was passed by one of them. I won't say who it was. Oh, go on, George. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to say who it was. Twenty five years time ago. ago. Come on. Twenty five. Twenty five. No, no, no. I'm not going to say who it was. Yeah. It was. It was foreign. It was a foreigner. <laughs> not. Um, not, not, a, not a Brit. But. The, the the point was, I was very frustrated going through there in the, in the dark and in occasional driving snow. It was just about impossible. You're driving on dipped headlights, and the thing mm. is that the the the, the fire breaks, the trees are not at the side of the road in Kielder. The fire breaks in Kielder, or the the roadways, are eighty, ninety, maybe a hundred meters across, and the road sinuously runs up it. So every little crest, every little corner. You've not got any. There's no. There's no lead in from the side. There's no tree line to give you a guidance where it's going. You're literally just looking into black. All you can see is the bit of road in front of you. Um, and taking a chance in Kielder, you just run a little. I ran a tiny little bit wide a couple of times, and Fred cautioned me. Fred had me on a very tight leash. And and as we came out of it, I remember saying to him, Fred, I don't think I've driven that badly in my life. And he said, he said, George, honestly. And he'd been through there with everyone, you know. Mm. 
Henry Toivonen, Tony Pond, I don't know, all the drivers he'd been with, um, Simo Lampinen, uh, going back further, older drivers. And he said, he, he said I, he, I didn't drive any differently from those guys. It felt very, very slow to me. And I felt like I was driving like my granny. But we came out of their third car on the road. We were third car in the main service down at the, the, the airfield at Carlisle. It was bizarre. And you went and I, you know, 110. I'd, I'd been I'd been spectating on REC Rally for years before I did it. And you used to, you know, towards the end of the rally, you used to be going out and you'd see car 123 coming through in 15th mm. position, thinking, isn't that guy amazing, doing well? And here was me pulling into the main service at Kielder with all the factory teams all standing there waiting for Marco Allen to come in, for Jimmy McRae, for Hannah Mikola, for Juha Kankinen. And and I'm in front of these guys with car 110 on the side of my car. What a feeling that was. <laughs> Just the best feeling. And it was as good as winning the rally when, at that point. I think yeah. we were 15th overall it was in the end. A, a fantastic place. But as you said there, George, oh, it was a place stunning. that could absolutely bite so you. And, oh. and it did. It came back and bit Colin in, in Kershaw a couple of stages later when he, he damaged well, I think, the, the I think front. I think he got away with it. If he only, he, he only got he a did puncture... Because he was lucky. Exactly. Well, he didn't. He damaged the front right suspension in Kershope. Ah, uh, came out of there and he had to fix it himself uh, because they, the previous year, of course, they would have had a chase car. Everybody would have been waiting from the team and they would have jumped on the yeah. car at the end of the stage to fix it. But for 95, as we know, if you've been following the the, the 95 season on Dirtfish, you'll know that the service regulations changed uh, and there were only allocated service areas. So Colin had to get the car mobile again and then get it down the road to Penrith where where the team was waiting in one of the official service parks it was an astonishing effort because you know the again if you go back to the onboard you know he almost loses the car he's off the road as he comes across the finish line uh yet he only drops two seconds um to Kenneth Erickson in that stage with the front right absolutely completely nobbled um and from then on he got the car fixed and again we have some some incredible stories from Charlie Dodd, one of the mechanics on on Colin's car, who can tell us exactly what happened in that service in Penrith. Yeah, in the uh, truck stop at Penrith, that's where we had to change the front corner. That was uh, myself and Alan. And how much did you know about that? And how? When, I mean, they'd obviously been on the radio and said we've been up, we've got we, this damage. To we the car. we prepared the front corner, basically built a strut, an upright TCA. Dry shaft, built it all as one because it's the easiest way to change it. Just take a take the whole lot off as one and put the whole lot back on as one. It's the quickest and easiest way to change it because on the top then was one nut on the uh, front turret, which was a 28 mil nut, and you undo that and the whole damper drops down, and you put the whole thing back up again, put the nut back on, and you can swing it about, and do what you want with it. it yeah. It's easy, you know. So I was doing underneath, and Alan was doing the outside, and I was always, I was just happened to be watching the thing on the. Uh, Top Gear report the other night, and I didn't realise they changed the wing at the same time, changed the front wing at the same time. Really? Because that came out. I thought, oh, I don't remember that wing being bent, but because you focusing what I had to do, you know, I was doing yeah. underneath, so it's had to yeah. sump guard off, uh, TCA off, and then the drive shaft. I remember the drive shaft where it had been, where the wheel had been going backwards and forwards. There's a, a joint in the TV joint has got a metal shroud, yeah. and that metal shroud had bent all over the bolt which I wasn't expecting. Oh, hammer quick and smack hell out of it. And, uh, because get the, Colin tried to get change the, the drive shaft. Yeah, we changed the shaft and the uh, complete suspension. 
which is fairly straightforward. It's sort of bolts hold the TCA on, then there was a what we called a caster block, which was a rear TCA mount, which was two bolts. Yeah. Um, the dry shaft, which held on with three bolts. Yeah. So it's fairly straightforward as long as you don't get any problems, you know. But we, luckily, we didn't sump guard off and that, and it hadn't done any damage to the sump guard or anything like that. Yeah. On a, in a job like that, that's what can hold you up is yeah. some guy's been rubbing on the floor and it's all the, the aluminium's worn over the bolt so you can't get a socket on the bolt or a spanner so you've got to chisel around that and clean it all up. That can take five minutes, yeah. you know, and you've only got a 20 minute service, you're up against it. I think we did it with about a couple of minutes to spare, I think, in the end. We really? weren't too bad, so. And you weren't worried that the drive shaft had done damage to the dip? No, because you can see once it's out, out you yeah. can see there's no problem. It's, uh, to do damage to the diff, that'd be pretty extreme. That would have to take a pretty good side impact to do any damage to the, the diff itself. Yeah. And it wasn't loose, so it wasn't flailing around or causing any other damage, breaking, you know, just um, wearing through pipe work or anything like that. It was just just going backwards and forwards, so it damaged the inner wings and bits and pieces like that, but nothing. When it came into you, were you quite impressed with the, the repair that Colin had done, given that he'd only got a log to work with? Yeah, because we, we were hearing on the radio that there was a problem and we sort of, you know, we better get, so that's when we started getting everything ready, you know, we knew it was the right front, so we get the right front corner ready. And uh, it was just then, is he going to make it? We were just sort of, yep, yep, he's on the motorway, he's on the M6, he's coming down, you know, so that's it, once he's, you know, with Colin and like it's in the classic Grunholm films, you know, he'll drive it on three wheels, he'll get it there somehow or other, if it kills him, he'll get it there, you know. So we knew once he was out the forest and on his way that, yeah, it's pretty certain he's going to come. It all depended then on how much time we we're going to have. <coughs> Excuse me. What was left in service time? Yeah. To actually repair the car, you know, because it obviously takes too long. That nibbles into your service time. But in those days, it's different now. But but I think we had about 20 minutes, remember rightly, which yeah. is ample to do that job. So. When it when it came into you, were you quite impressed with the the repair that Colin had done, given that he'd only got a log to work with? Yeah, because we we were hearing on the radio that there was a problem and we sort of, you know, we better get, so that's when we started getting everything ready. You know, we knew it was the right front, so we get the right front corner ready. And uh, it was just then, is he going to make it? We were just sort of, yep, yep, he's on the motorway, he's on the M6, he's coming down, you know, so that's it, once he's, you know, with Colin and like it's in the classic Grunholm films, you know, he'll drive it on three wheels, he'll get it there somehow or other, if it kills him, he'll get it there, you know. So we knew once he was out the forest and on his way that, yeah, it's pretty certain he was going to come. It all depended then on how much time we were going to have. <coughs> Excuse me. What was left in service time yeah. to actually repair the car, you know, because it obviously takes too long. That nibbles into your service time. But in those days, it's different now. But, um, but I think we had about 20 minutes, I remember rightly, which yeah. is ample to do that job. And from then on, Cole, you know, again, we discussed this a lot yesterday. The, the cars went across from Penrith over to Grisdale two stages in Grisdale and then it was south and into Wales and Colin was just in another world wasn't he? He really was and it's interesting because you know did Colin have a strategy at the start of the event was was there any kind of discussion about how how he might approach the event would he keep an eye on Carlos Uh, would he match his times what would he do well if there was a strategy David it all went out of the window after that service didn't it because you know he was he, he was you know a long way behind with a limited number of stages to go. And really, as he left that service, it was all about, well, 
you know, just catching Carlos. And, and to do that, it was flat out. So there wasn't any strategy other than as quick as I can go. And again, we've got some really interesting audio from David Lapworth. Technical director at the time, was he, David? Is that right? Yep. Let, yep let's just right, hear yep. from David then about Colin's approach through the rest of the rally after that incident. I think if you ran at the pace that Colin did for any length of time, your luck would run out, you know. And it's very clear in rallying, it's clear in racing, but it's much more clear in rallying that there is a very strong sort of connection between the level of risk that you take and how fast you can go. Yeah, If you're prepared to take more risk, if you're prepared to take a chance over a blind crest, uh, if you're prepared to make assumptions about the grip level that you're going to find when you enter a, you know, a, a corner, you can gain a lot of time, but the risk just goes up and up and up. And for sure, the pace that Colin was going at included a level of risk. It's not just about his familiarity with British forests or whatever that he'd grown up rallying that did give him an advantage over Carlos, no matter how many times Carlos had done Rally GB. You know, Colin had kind of grown up in, in those forests. It was also about Colin's um, Colin being prepared to take a level of risk, whatever level of risk is necessary to win the rally. And Carlos wasn't prepared to do that. Yeah. And he, he was probably right, because Colin's level of risk was probably not sustainable for more than, you know, you'd have, if you carry on at that, that pace, I am sure you couldn't do, you know, three days of rallying at that pace. Just, it's incredible to hear David talking about that. And George, you know, talk us through that, about, you know, the sustained risk. You know, I think, I think after that service up in Penrith, there must have been somewhere in the region of eight or ten stages left to run. And it was flat out risking every one of those stages. You know, to, to actually sustain that. In, in to, many ways, in many George. ways, George, that's can just, get, George, you yeah. can get your tentacles of perception out here. <laughs> I can get my tentacles of perception. So let's 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 talk about two things. First of all, the gloves are off. Colin's got to go for it. He would never be happier than in that position. Very straightforward. I can imagine he was very sanguine in his approach. Just straightforward. Yeah, okay. I just need to do it. You can just see him shrugging his shoulders and. You know, curling his lips, saying, "Ah, nothing to it. Not, not nothing to it. But I'll, 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 I'll do what's needed here." You know, and and that's that was Colin. You know, that was him. His his devil may care attitude, and that's where he lived, and that's where he thrived. So, he he put himself by mistake and and unwillingly into probably the best position, and he was the best guy to deliver under that type of pressure. And, and George, devil and may George, care. I'm going to go for it. And, but but no, I saw George. Colin. Before you go on, just just on the converse side of that. You've then got Carlos Sainz in a position that maybe he doesn't like to be in, where he's got to defend the lead. That's not easy. And how, how would Carlos, you know Carlos as well as anyone, you know, is that a position that Carlos would also have found difficult? Well, yes. I mean, but, but Carlos absorbed that type of pressure very well and he kept delivering. But Carlos always... He was a man that very rarely made mistakes. And when he made a mistake, Carlos, it was a small mistake. It was a survivable mistake. So he wasn't as willing as Colin to go out on the limb. But you've got to remember that if Carlos didn't win a rally, he would be second. And if he wasn't second, he'd be third. If he wasn't third, he'd be fourth. He didn't non-finish rallies. That's, he was a championship driver. He, he survived. So... I've seen Carlos a couple of times when somebody's raw speed just takes over you and yeah, you do start to feel a wee bit defeated and he must have known a little bit what was likely to come from Colin on home turf and Colin's, you know, shrug of the shoulders saying, I'll just do what I need to do here. 
and you know maybe even a throwaway comment out of sight of everyone else to Carlos just to wind them up. Who knows? Um, and and Carlos, you know, Carlos was as vulnerable to that as anyone else, but he was a tough character. But to 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 run back to Colin, so now Collins, you know, the, the gloves are off. He's going to have to pull out something unbelievably special. Well, he's already done it, so he knows he can do it. Confidence was never an issue for Colin, was it? Let's be honest. It was. It, it never came across as arrogance, but in another person it would have been. But in Colin, he didn't have really an arrogant bone in his body. At least it didn't come across that way. Certainly plenty of self-confidence. So he's gone out on this rally and he just got himself into that place where he could just do anything with the car. I often, You often have great fun with me talking about my tentacles of perception when I was referring to headlights stretching out across a forest to pick out the way that the road's going. But really, I can imagine the the mind state of Colin, almost a euphoric state of concentration and ease, everything just coming naturally to him. Did he, did he, I mean, he probably marked the car another hundred times, but never knocked anything off it, important at least for the rest of that rally. It would just have been almost surreal for him in the car, unbelievably concentrated, unbelievably focused, unbelievably uh, taking every last ounce out of the car, but not too much. Always remember, with everything that we talk about Colin, and when we talk about him wrecking cars and this and that, and the next thing, the guy had uh, an incredible mechanical sympathy from the car, which when he chose to exercise it was second to none. He didn't choose to exercise it that often because it, it wasn't appropriate. <laughs> but at that point, he needed to take everything out of the car and the car needed to survive. And uh, he just got himself into that great place. I can, Im- I know, I would, I would love to actually have a look at some of the videos again, and I'll, I'll go and do it now. I'll go and find some of the the videos during that last day, and and I'll you know I'll listen to our podcast and and hear Charlie Dodd and and David Latworth talking about the event because it'll be great to listen to it again. But but Colin himself would have just been in a very special place where it just. Everything was natural to him. He knew what he had to do. God, I just such a good feeling. I mean, I've maybe I mean, I've certainly not been in Colin's position ever, but in terms of you know producing those drives and everything coming easy, I've, I've had my I've had my odd moment, not quite at the level that Colin was at by a long way, of course. But yeah, I've seen it in other drivers as well. So I, I can certainly appreciate what he did and the state of mind he was in. Must have been magic. Absolutely, G- Jimmy would be the guy. Jimmy greats, would be the we? guy to. Oh, absolutely! It's just, I mean, he just had it all. Uh, he only ever got one championship, but but that's down to his approach as much as anything else. You know, I mean, Colin, Colin wasn't a. He he, he didn't drive for rally wins. He drove for stage wins. <laughs> the rally win was an accident, a happy accident, <laughs> and uh, the the, the cha- he didn't really drive for championships. He he drove for event wins. You know, and, and if he got enough event wins, he'd win the championship. And but he, he, you know, he never, he never drove safe rallies. My, my point being is, he always drove to win. Absolutely, and he was driving to win certainly on those last few days. But it took him a while, oh, David. Well, I mean, that it was... took him a while to to reel in Carlos, didn't it? It did. Yeah, absolutely, it did. Um, he spent basically the. So, David, can I just yeah. ask? You, at this point, you were following the rally. <laughs> That's how we we started with it. Where were you, and how were you keeping up with information about the rally? Uh, my father and I would have been following it, uh, just literally trailing 
or jumping from stage to stage, uh, keeping in touch via the fabulous uh, Patterson bulletins from Brian and Liz yes. Patterson, which were distributed yeah. at every stage. Um, and yeah, and then I didn't just, get those in Cologne, David. They didn't. They didn't uh, deliver to Cologne. I was very sorry. disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but then you know, it, there was there was that telephone number that you could call, uh, like a rally line that you could call, and. And obviously, you know, you could watch on on CFAX and teletext. Um, and well, yeah, not if it, you're in the car. I mean, we take getting information on rallies totally so much for granted. granted these days, don't we? Yeah, hundred percent. So, yeah, he he chased Carlos down all the way down through through um, through Wales on the third morning, through Sweet Lamb Half from through Dovenant down to Breckford Trasco Crooken, um, and I think we said, you know, he 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 won eight out of nine stages. Yeah, uh, and actually you know, memorably moved back into the lead on the Tuesday afternoon on the, the the last stage of the day, which was a rerun Sweet Lamb Half Run. Um he he passed Carlos in, in there. Uh and then started the final day uh with what was it, Carl? I think it was a seventeen second lead or something. Seventeen seconds. Um, it was it was an emphatic final stage of the, the penultimate day, wasn't it? Um he yeah. didn't just beat him. He absolutely smashed Carlos and the rest of the field. But what what I'm interested in, David. I mean, I, I don't know where you were uh, on that 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 last stage of the the second to last day. Um, but I can imagine in Sweet Lamb in that bowl there. You know, I, I've seen the videos. You know, when we go these days to Sweet Lamb, there's always a good atmosphere. But it's nothing like I'm told the atmosphere of you know back in the day when when McRae and Burns uh, were doing their magic there. Were, were you there? Were you in Sweet Lamb that evening or that afternoon or not? Yeah, no, we were. T- we tell were. me a and, bit about and, the atmosphere there, then, David, it, with with McRae, because you'd all have known that he was you know he'd lost all that time early on in the rally and that he was fighting back and and it it must have been building and building and building. And just tell me what it was like as he came past you guys in Sweet Lamb there then. It it, it was just, you know, it, it, incredible, Cole. But, you know, yeah. I think actually now I will just step back a little bit because Dad and I were actually incredibly fortunate because we were, I can't remember exactly where we were, but we were somewhere in Wales and we'd come out of an early stage on the whatever day it was. And there was a, a Peugeot following us behind. Like I don't know, Peugeot three oh six or a four oh five, just a road car, fairly tatty old road car. Um and there were there were there were four youths in this in this car and they seemed to have followed us for quite a long time. Um and then we got to a junction and they jumped one of them jumped out of the car and came and said, Can can we follow you? You know, you're obviously on the rally. Can we follow you? Are you going to the next stage? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course you can. Follow us, crack on. So then we went into the next stage, uh, and obviously they followed us. And they parked up next to us. Uh, I can't remember what stage it was. And they were saying, oh, yeah, we're... Obviously, you could tell they were, they were Scots. And they said, yeah, we're, we're friends of Collins. And and so they, we said, right, okay, well, you know, if you want, just follow us. You know, we're doing this stage, this stage, ending at Sweet Lamb that evening. Um, and, you know, just stick with us if you want. Because they, they hadn't got a map or anything. So off they went. And they, they went to watch over there. And, and, and I turned to my father and said, wow, Dad, they're friends of Collins. And Dad, Dad looked at me and he was like, David... On this weekend, every Scotsman is a friend of Colin McRae's. Don't don't get carried away. So I was I was quite disappointed. Oh really? Oh, yeah, probably am a bit naive. So we get back in the car and and they got back in their car, followed us out, and we were going down to this junction. And I remember this vividly. We pulled up at the junction and McRae came down the road behind us, 
And as he got level alongside this Peugeot, he stopped and he opened the driver's door and they started chatting. And honestly, my father and I just had jaws on the floor. And suddenly, and suddenly these, these people were our best friends. So we took them, we, we went into Sweet Lamb for that final stage of the day. Um, and it was, you know, the fireworks were going. At that time, you know, Colin was still just slightly behind uh, Carlos, so we didn't really know that he was going to pass him in there. And, mm. you know, at, at that time, you, you didn't really even know which car it was on the road because, you know, they could come in at different times and stuff. So all you could hear was it was a Subaru. Uh, and then as the flashlights came, as they came through the Ford at the bottom, you'd see the number four or... And the place just went mad, yeah. absolutely mad, and the hills just just lit up with flash bulbs. And you know the cheer it take a it would take a lot to drown out uh, that flat four boxer engine um, on an open mm. hillside, but it did, yeah. and it was brilliant. Wow! Um, wow! So we all get back in the car, uh, and then we were going to the final service wherever it was, um, and these guys um, said to Dad and I, "Do you want to come for a cup of coffee in the motorhome?" And Dad and I were like. Yeah, okay. Uh, just thinking it was never going to happen. Oh. So we, we followed them in, and they walked straight into Colin's motorhome, uh, and Dad and I got invited in. Wow. And we we walked into the motorhome, um, and Colin How and Derek... You, David? How old I would have been... It was 25 years 20. ago, so he's about 26. <laughs> a li- just a little bit younger than that, Carl. Colin, don't spoil um, the magic of the story. I'm in the sorry, zone. Sorry. I'm with you, David. Tell I'm me how old you are. My hair's, the hairs are standing up so, on the back of my neck when you're talking about the cheers. So we were we were in we were sat in this motorhome, um, and we were obviously Colin and Derek hadn't arrived yet, and and literally Dad and I had just sat there, and they bought us a cup of coffee, and we just couldn't wait to actually get out because it was just you know couldn't believe we were in there and just felt like you know what on earth are we doing in here yeah, uh, yeah. so we we quickly downed our coffee and i probably grabbed the tunnox tea cake just as a memento and just <laughs> honestly this is just the best bit of the story so dad is leading us out of the motorhome and he couldn't get the door open and he flung the door open <laughs> and genuinely as i sit here nearly flattened colin mccray who's coming into the motorhome honestly it was and then honestly we sort of got out and we just ran <laughs> Um, and, and these and the next morning we picked up these people outside their hotel. They followed the event with us. And you know, there's a there's a, a Facebook group, uh, the McRae twenty five thing on, on ProDrive site. And I must put a message because I would love to get in touch with these people again and just see if their their memory is, is the same as mine. It was brilliant. They followed it through what the final story. day with us, um, and then came to Chester and celebrated. Wow. Uh, and it was it was brilliant. It was, and but that sense of camaraderie on that event. You know, we were in Chester yesterday, Col, and you know, it took hours to get anywhere because people had just parked. They ditched cars everywhere, um, mm. and there was just one place, and everybody converged on that race course, mm. and the celebration was was unlike anything I've ever experienced before. But before we get there, and David, since- you, you have a fantastic story. So that was that was the the, uh, the last evening, wasn't it, in Sweet Lamb? We then had, yeah. what, uh, I think it was seven stages on the final day to go. And he's gone into the yeah. final day with, uh, you say, a 17-second lead. But that morning, because it was a bit of a drive down to the first stage on the final morning, wasn't it? And McCray... Yeah, down to McCray was, McCray, McCray, yeah. He was just... 
you'd imagine he's you know, potentially he's got a lead. He goes into the final day, seven stages to go. No Brit has ever won the world championship. Uh, you know, he knows he's absolutely in the form of his life. But you'd have thought there'd have been a few nerves, maybe a little bit of apprehension. But none of that was there. There wasn't at all. And, you know, just a couple of things. You know, I remember talking to Jerry Williams uh, about this and, of course, to David Williams. And and their recollection, they were working. Jerry Williams for the Daily Mail. You know, this was a massive thing for the Daily Mail. Uh, so Jerry was in the thick of it. And, of course, David Williams was motoring news writer um, at the time. Um, and Jerry said, you know, talking to Colin after the event, he said, you know, c- could you ever have seen yourself not winning? And Colin said... It would have taken a nuclear bomb to stop me, Jerry. And <laughs> but yeah, that that um, that was the level of confidence. So that final morning, they'd gone from Chester down to to Pant Perthog for the for the first stage, 70, 68 miles, according to Andrew Kellett, who would know these things. Um, and the the service before they went into Pant Perthog was the at the Chorus Craft Centre, uh, just on the side of the road. Colin knew there was there was a pub just down half a mile past, which we can't pronounce the name of, no. uh, but Elvin, Elvin, Elvin Evans can um, very well. Um, <laughs> so so Colin drove past service, went half a mile down the road, pulled up outside the pub, and, and you know, they, they were serving coffee full of rally fans. They were serving coffee and stuff. He went in, and, and Lappy was actually in there. Um, and while he was in there, he noticed a pool table. So Colin started playing pool. On the morning that, you know, he would be crowned world champion, he was having a game of pool at seven o'clock in the morning. And, you know, we talked about this yesterday, Colin, and, and there's part of Colin that, you know, it would have just been, you know, a way of passing the time, nothing. But equally, there would have been a part of Colin that would have known that Carlos was sitting outside service, getting very agitated and quite frustrated because where the hell is Colin? I've done the same road section as him. I haven't seen him anywhere. Where is he? And and Colin would know that that would be getting a little bit into Carlos's head, uh, and a little bit into his head. It would have eaten so, him alive. So can you imagine though, when 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 he comes back into service, and and Carlos says, "Where have you been?" And hey, I've been playing pool. <laughs> what? <laughs> You've been what? <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was great. And you know, it's just. Uh, that whole event, I read, reread uh, David Williams's report from the the Motoring News that the following week, and in his in his intro, DKW says, you know, this rally will pass into legend, and twenty five years on, you know, listen to us, you know, it's one mm-hmm. event, and it is an absolute legend. Mm-hmm. It genuinely, it truly is. Yeah, David, you know, and and. You know, that day, it started in that quite surreal way with that game of pool. But but again, you know, I'm, I'm sure McCray, you know, he'd done what he needed to do on the previous stage. He'd, he'd got into the lead. But I'm sure he wouldn't have changed his approach or his style at all. I'm sure that those final seven stages of the rally were more or less the same sort of approach for him. It was flat out. Is that right? Yeah, it was all the way through, you know, remarkably. Even that final stage, oh. you know, that that that... Absolutely, that last stage, Clarkinog East, was what is twelve miles long. Colin was fastest. Just incredible. You know, he still t- yeah. took a second or something out of out of Carlos. So, you know, at no point did he he really sort of throttle back. Mm. Um, but equally, I think there was definitely a thing with with Carlos that Carlos had appreciated. Uh, and again, to refer back to Jerry Williams, you know, at one particular service point, Jerry said that the whole world just went to Colin's door. 
uh, to ask him, you know, he'd probably just taken the lead or he'd taken another fastest time. And he said everybody went to Colin. And Jerry said just for a moment, you know, Carlos had arrived behind him. And Jerry said, you know, I turned and went to talk to, to Carlos. Nobody had gone to speak to science after at this service. Um, and he opened the door and he, and he said to Jerry, you know, there is nothing I can do. And Jerry said, you know, he just looked lost, absolutely mm-hmm. forlorn. And as, you know, DKW said in, in his report, nobody made Carlos Sainz look second best. Yeah. But he, he looked definitely second rate on that event. That would, and be, it was, that would be an interesting dynamic, that, George, because, you know, Carlos was, was, he was revered in Spain, wasn't he? He was an absolute superstar and two times world champion. As you say, Colin, David... you're wrong. You, you're completely wrong. He, he wasn't, he wasn't revered. Well, I, he I is he revered, was, Colin. Is, the guy's an absolute god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. That, 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 totally, that's a, sorry. That, you know. You're quite right. But, but yeah. how, how, you know him again, George, you do know him well. Um, how would that have affected him? How, how would he have, would, would that, would his head have dropped? Would he have thought, well, that's it, I'm beaten? I can't imagine he'd ever be beaten. Yeah, he, he would. He would. He would certainly be very despondent that he can't do anything about it. But he would never stop trying. Carlos never, ever, ever stopped driving. It was and and st- stopped trying. And he would be trying solutions. He would be trying to find the way. He'd be trying to understand what Colin is doing to 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 achieve what he did. Carlos never, ever, ever gave up for anything. I have mm. seen him a, a little bit. Behind the eight ball only once, only once, and that was in the 1999 China Rally. He just didn't like the event. He got out of sorts for some reason early on in the the event um, because it had just been announced that Toyota were pulling out of WRC just prior to that rally and going into Formula One. So he was maybe a wee bit despondent about that, but, but Didier came out the blocks and... Gave us an incredible win that, that on that event that year. That and we image won, we that won you won the championship. Sorry um, to interrupt you there, George, mm. but that image you had there, David, of the media clustering around Colin, mm. it <clears throat> kind of reminds me of that Oscar Wilde quote, which is the only thing worse than being talked about mm. is not, not being talked, talked about. about. Yeah. And as a, as a driver, I know that there's times where they're thinking, oh, why, you know, you, you start walking towards them and they're thinking, oh, I've got to do an interview. But by the same token, nobody coming over to the car, it, you, it just says so much. It's so powerful. And it was so so alien to Carlos because you know for his you know almost all of his career everybody had been interested because he was enjoying so much success, uh, but on that event it was all Colin and you know we we've joked about it so many times, Colin. You know the the moment after Kershaw when he's had that he's fixed the suspension. You know he actually used a log to lever the suspension leg out of the wheel arch and back so they could get it straight to get on the road to Penrith. And there, of course, was was the ubiquitous Tony Mason uh, with microphone in hand uh, and trying to get it in and trying to get a word out of Derek. And Derek was saying, not now, Tony, it's not a good time. Um, and they finally, Colin was just going to get back in the car. And in the middle of this massive drama where, you know, as Carlos had said, Colin was lucky because if there'd been one more stage, he was out, he was finished because there was no service you know, at this moment of massive drama, when Colin still had to make it down the M6 to Penrith, there's Tony with the microphone in his face saying, what can you do, blah, blah, blah. And Colin just looked at him with this gorgeous look and just smiled and said, 
No problem, Tony. And it was just <laughs> it's, it's, magic. It's, do you know what? Do you know what? This is this is genuinely the truth. As I said, I, I hands up. You know, I was just a motorsport fan in those days. I wasn't a particularly fanatical rally fan, um, but you know, as a Scotsman, a Scottish world champion, you know, I obviously understood what McRae was doing, and and it was big news in Scotland and all the rest. But the one thing I remember from that event was that quote. And I, you know that yep. that hey, no problems, Tony. And I've I've repeated that many times since. Um, it's just yep. one of those things that just <laughs> it just kind of summed them up, didn't it? You know, it, yeah. how can that, someone? That good. I've, I've seen George. You and it, I, you and the I have master seen, of the one one liner. Yeah, but George, you and I have but, seen but many drivers. Of... We've seen many drivers in that situation on road sections when we've been doing stage ends or George in your career following cars around and all the rest. And and sometimes, you know, it is. I wouldn't say blind panic, but sometimes it is very, very fraught. Um, and, and not often a situation with as much jeopardy as the situation that McRae found himself in. If he'd not fixed that, if he'd not got back to Penrith, that was it. You know, he wasn't going to win the championship, but still he was as laconic and as laid back as that. It was mm. like, hey, don't worry about it. You know, I can fix this. There's no dramas here, pal. It, it was an incredible kind of indictment of, of the type of character he was, really. Yeah, and I think it's. I mean, it absolutely is. I mean, he just was that character. But I mean, it, it, it also as as we talk it through, you realise just how tenuous that result was because rally. No matter how focused you are, and and how you know, as, as Colin said, you know, only a nuclear bomb would have stopped him. Well, mm. the reality is that. Uh, you're tr- you're always treading that fine line of the luck that you make for yourself, and and that is the master of a rally driver. And Colin just brought it all together on that one event, and uh, it was it was it was magical. But I mean, y- yeah, you're you're only a hair's breadth away from failure on every corner in a rally, and and that is the skill of a driver to bring it together. But and and make no mistake, although Colin didn't show it, there must have been huge pressure on him to do it. Although in reality, I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't. He was fairly near the beginning of his career at that point. Honestly speaking, he had another eight or nine years. I mean, he could have been champion four or five times. Tommy, mm. Tommy took that accolade initially. And yeah, in fairness, Colin, you know, Colin, Colin had the really should to do that at that time. And he should have had more championships. You know, he should have, mm-hmm. you know, you look at 97, 98, the engine problems they had with Subaru. And then, of course, in, yeah. in 01, when, when he had his accident in, in Wales, he, he definitely should have had more. But equally, we have to say, throughout this 95 season, probably Carlos should have been champion in 95 because he missed New Zealand with that, uh, with the injury, the shoulder injury, injury when he when he fell off whether it was a, a motorbike or a mountain bike. Um, <laughs> I know and, it wasn't a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, so you know, with, with just a decent uh, set of points from maybe a podium in New Zealand, it would have been a very, very different picture coming into the RAC. Um, but you could say exactly the same for, for Colin uh, in, in later years. Uh, but yes. ultimately, yes. on that event, on that day, on this day, 25 years ago, there was nobody in the whole wide world that was better than than Colin McRae. Yeah, yeah, he did a great what job. What a place to finish. I don't think we can say any more than that. So thank you very much, guys. Now, if you want to catch up with any more hot rally news, you know that the only place to go is dirtfish.com. If you've got any questions for us, Twitter is perhaps the best way to go for us, uh, at Dirtfish Rally. And, uh, yeah, ping us a question and we'll... we'll 
answer your questions as best we can. Thanks, guys. I've really enjoyed that. Um, David, I just love the vision of you and your dad driving around in the car. And that's exactly how rallies should be enjoyed. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, bizarrely, least the day that we are recording this is nine years ago that I lost dad. Uh, we lost my father. And, you know, I'm filling up a little bit now because it was, you know, it was an amazing time to, to be a rally mm. fan. And I was so fortunate that, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now without my father. And just this one's perhaps for him a little bit as well. <laughs>